0: everyone, to an exciting episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics... And analysis.
1: Blaney out front, two miles to go, one last to go, presented by Credit One Bank. Larson is right there, he's going to push his teammate, they're going to have a great run on Blaney down here in the turn one and two, Blaney with a big lead.
2: Big run they they're backing up. But now they're going to be side by side, or the teammates going to get side by side and slow each other down.
1: William had to block here around Kurt Bush, and that hurt that that hurt that move forward. Williams got some momentum. One last opportunity into three and four.
2: Blaney has the lead. Byron goes high. Blaney stays down low. Blaney drifts up the track. Here comes the run from the twenty-four. Ryan Blaney is going to hold him off. Byron dives to the bottom of the track. Blaney goes to. Blaney's going to win in Michigan. Awesome drive, man. Awesome drive. That was great work by Ryan Blaney and his spotter to
0: know everywhere the competition was. Got me a trophy here, man. Thank you. Fire, fire up fire those fire saws, up, Hartford. Fire. Steve, we're back, and I can't just hold it in. I don't want to wait for our preview or our review of, of this race, but we are back in victory lane by we. I don't know. I mean, us as Blaney fans, I guess, Join Ryan in that in that number 12 team in victory lane this weekend at Michigan International Speedway. Number two, win number two on the season. So the first time Ryan goes to victory lane twice in a season, And I was pumped all day Sunday. I was pumped all day yesterday waiting, you know, get ready to do the show. And I'm even more pumped tonight as we sit down to record this episode.
2: You should have been in my living room. We scared the crap out of, you know, luckily the neighbors are just far enough away where they can't hear. But um, usually I listen to the scanner with uh, an earpiece plugged in. And um, because it's 10 10 to 15 seconds ahead of the TV and my wife said, hey, I want to hear this too. (laughs) (laughs) so unplug it with two laps to go turn that thing all the way up turn the tv down and before you know before the tv you know we're celebrating and yelling and screaming and then we look and then we go oh let's stop watching tv too (laughs) i'll watch it live and then so, so we celebrated twice there at the end um and I know we yeah. weren't definitely
0: weren't alone in that for sure. I was just talking to some Blaney fans yesterday about it and um, Hannah is one of our, our listeners and followers on Twitter and she's talking about she's in a car actually driving or she wasn't driving, but she was riding in a car watching it on her phone because they were on the road, and she's talking to her mom on the phone uh, about the race and the mom is, is ahead of what she's seeing, so she's like asking her mom he's like as as that final lap goes by and she sees Larson and, and Byron making runs, like, is he is Ryan okay still? Is Ryan okay still? <laughs> And then, think she said she eventually hung the phone up and then just watched to just kind of take in the the victory. So, um, like you said, it was an amazing time. You guys were pumped at your house. I know me; I, I tend to sometimes get quiet in the last in the last couple of seconds, and then I kind of pace. But this time, I was just literally edge of edge of my seat, staring at the screen, um, intense because it was an intense finish.
2: As as everybody's going to hear in a couple minutes here, um, I did talk to Josh uh, yesterday, day right after the race. Spoiler and, uh, alert! Spoiler alert! It's coming up, <laughs> coming up soon. But um, that's the amazing part. Those last eight laps were incredible on the radio. The the way they work together, um, and, and and you know Ryan is looking at things through this tiny little mirror. And he's driving as best he can to, to cover the runs and um, every bit of communication that the two of them have and the things they've worked out over the years uh, just showed. Some people are talking about it. it's a great preview for this week, actually, too, uh, because it was a lot like a, a plate race where you got to block the runs. And uh, the thing about it that's different, though, is the runs were coming from everywhere. He did a fabulous job, uh, breaking the draft when he had to break the draft, getting in front of somebody when he had to get in front of somebody and get pushed, pushed out a little further, you know, coming around to that last lap and turns three and four, he got himself in the perfect position and, uh, Luckily, didn't have to cut anybody off or anything for the win. So uh, this just a fabulous, fabulous job of racing the car. Uh, people are going to complain about the package this and the package that. But uh, like everybody said, this is what we were dealing with. This is how we have to race. You know, though the car wasn't great all day, by the end, it was maneuverable enough for him to do what he needed to do with it. Put on a show of uh, his talents and his abilities. Uh, kudos to everybody involved. Uh, it was a great, great weekend, a great, great Sunday race.
0: So like you are just saying, Steve, we are going to have Ryan spotter Josh Williams on the team Blaney podcast in just a few minutes. And what Ryan and Josh did over those last eight laps was pure magic. So Steve, why don't you do me a favor here? We're going to jump into our recap of the firekeepers casino 400 at Michigan international speedway. But I'm so excited to have Josh on the program that why don't you jump into a cliff notes version of our Ryan Blaney race recap for this weekend. Ryan Blaney race recap. Michigan International Speedway.
2: Yeah, we'll just uh, kind of cut through this real quick here. Um the stages were 60, 120 and 200 uh, competition caution at lap 20 and Ryan mcforce was starting third based on last week's second place finish. And he actually had the second pit stall too on pit road right behind the 5, which was great too. And the early part of the race, the first you know 20 20 laps going into that competition caution, there were a lot of issues with the car being the way it was set up. They're working on handling it was going into the quarter. It was chattering the front end, hitting the splitter. And basically Ryan, uh, the communication he's given to Todd was to see if they can fix that. And this race, they the way they raced. It was almost, you know, so many, uh, pit stops basically is all they were trying to try and force. So they did the competition caution got the four tires and fuel. They went in 12th, come out 12th. So pit crew was doing a good job already holding serve. I know, uh, I asked still about the, uh, choose cone. I think she said they only showed like two or three of like six, in the whole race which you know (laughs) in the end end up being good they showed the ones at the end but
0: and i know we've brought her up before um but if this is your first time listening just to clarify stellinarius or stellinarius or however you say it no matter what find her on twitter we usually will uh retweet her thread each week during the race but she goes ahead and she posts uh, the radio chatter between Ryan and Todd and Josh and anybody else that might be on there throughout the race, just kind of giving you a, kind of a little bit of a play by play in case you can't exactly hear it, but she is definitely a must follow when it comes to watching a, a Ryan Blaney race.
2: Now through the first stage here, you know, basically shifts between like 12th, 13th, 14th in that range of still fighting this, this uh, problems with the splitter and the front end chattering and working on the air pressures and so forth. There is a caution at lap 31. And he does work his way up into the top 10 for a little while there. All Penn skewed cars by lap 40 were in the top 10. Uh, the fourth one, of course, being uh, Matt, uh, Matty D. By the end of the stage, though, I think he ended up 11th there. The nine win stage one. And they work on a special thing here. They put a right front Packer in during this pit stop. And this is kind of trying to help get that splitter from, keep it from bouncing, keep the tires from chattering. So the car starts to get better as we go along here. And he gets into clean air too, a little bit here. And that helps too. I have to say, I
0: was nervous. Uh, the way that they they started this race up, it is never good this year. And they we've run into a lot of this with no practice, no qualifying. We're getting the ride heights right. Uh, coming off the truck is super, super important. So, so for them to immediately fire off there and him saying the car's on the splitter uh, kind of gave me an uneasy an uneasy feeling in my stomach.
2: Yeah, lap 83, he actually says we're finally getting somewhere here. So the, the changes, the air pressure, everything's starting to work, work for him where he's able to maneuver better. Talks about a big vibration um, at lap 98, which is a little scary, but uh, they know they're going to pit here soon because there's some green flag pit stops going on and everybody cycles through. Once the cycle's done, he ends up 12th. They do a, about a 13-second pit stop there with four tires and fuel. At the end of the stage, the uh, 18 wins, and Ryan is end up 12th. So they stay out here at the end of the stage, too, and this is, once again, part of that strategy. We're going to stay out. We're going to get some track position, and we're only going to end up pitting one more time from here to the end of the race. That's how some things uh, shake out here as we go, because he gets up to fifth, basically, by staying out.
0: Yeah, so I was, like I said, I was already a little nervous, but that seems at this point in the race, they've got the car pointed in the right direction, but um, a little bummed, no stage points, and uh, either the first or second stage. So uh, they've kind of put everything in strategy-wise into this last stage, last run of the race.
2: The Chusko, The leader is the number five at this point and takes the top and Ryan takes the bottom. So this puts him up like a row. So he basically ends up being fourth after the restart shakes out you know, five, six, seven laps in, he's still only about two seconds back of the lead, um, holding ground pretty good, but by lap 171, he's, uh, fifth place and uh, the pit cycle completes at this point, still in fifth. And then they get the caution at lap 180 for the rain. And of course they're staying out. Everybody pretty much, I think stays out at that point. Chusko, the leader of the 24 takes the top. Ryan takes the low again and has the 22 behind him. And, um, the only reason I point these things out, and you know, i usually check these things is because that guy pushing you is the important guy uh, on the restarts especially at michigan at lap 20 186 he's up to fourth after the wreck on the restart there <laughs> as i call it wreck fest or wreckapalooza uh happened there at turn uh turn three and four
0: and that was like it, it, it built like reddick was loose at one point and then everyone's kind of moving around and it, it just seemed like it was building and building and building up until finally the crash happened
2: so now we uh We have uh, basically 10 to go. We've got the choose cone. uh, The leader, this 24, he takes the high. Denny follows to the high. And then Kyle Larson follows to the high. And
1: no one took the bottom. Um, And I said, thank you.
2: And Ryan Ryan goes up to the front row. And uh, the best part there is Kyle Bush is behind him. And say what you want about Kyle Bush. But most of these guys know that if you're in that second spot, you want to push your guy to the lead. And then hopefully, you've got enough car to get by him at some point.
0: Here's my nerves again. Ryan was in this position early in the race, and I know I texted you kind of immediately when they took that spot. Uh, your first message to me was just interesting after they after they, they ran through the, the choose cone, and then I'm like, well, he was in this position early in the race, so hopefully he's learned something because it did not go well. <laughs> but like you Uh, said it's all about the push he did not that that low line was spread apart did not get the right push early in the race
2: right but at this point um and i've seen some different replays of it seen some different analysis of it and uh the higher line went way higher there was pretty much a groove between the two lines kyle pushed him out there and it was interesting kyle i thought for sure was going to follow him and maybe end up being with him but kyle kind of faded there too once ryan got out and cut off in front of the uh 24 and then the next eight laps basically like I said um, you're going to want to listen to what uh, what Josh has to say that's why I wanted to get Josh on the show there's a lot of great insight that he's going to have here in the next couple minutes you're going to hear
0: yeah so speaking of that let's welcome Josh Williams the spotter for Ryan Blaney and that number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske to the Team Blaney podcast once again Josh welcome to the show
2: first off congratulations on the weekend uh you know it's a great day Sunday
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was a, it was a cool win, especially when you get those wins that don't look like they're going to come halfway through the race. So to, to get there in the end and have a, be in a position to win it and cap it off was pretty cool. So those are the exciting ones, I think.
2: Yeah. Um, pre-race or, you know, as you guys usually do pre-race talking on the radio, um, you guys were pretty optimistic. Actually, you guys all saying something about, uh, should have a good shot at it here.
1: Yeah. I feel like, uh, I feel like we knew we could be in position there at the end. If we, um, we just kind of keep our track position and stay around the front. Um, restarts there, obviously, are a lot like super speedways, and I feel like we do good at those. So if we just kind of get somewhere near the front. I feel like we could get near the front and have a shot to win. Um, so we we're just pretty confident in that. I mean, we've ran good there the last couple couple years. We ran good there last year, both races, and obviously got wrecked in the second one there. But I feel like we'd had a shot just to hang around the front and be there at the end with those restarts like that. So it ended up playing out that way.
2: Now early on in the race um there was there was issues with the car and the handling and so forth and um I noticed that like sometimes the communication from Ryan back to Todd doesn't always happen like sometimes you have to relay it is is it just like just there's too much going on and maybe Todd doesn't catch what's being said or
1: yeah a, a lot of that is Todd has even more radios than I have on cuz he's got you know radio just with the the engineers and people in the pit box he's got his channel two to me, he's got channel one to Ryan. So there's a lot of talking that he hears more than just what we're talking through that a normal person could hear. So a lot of times he's got a lot more going on in his head and, mm-hmm. and a lot more busy down there with computer screens and everything else. So sometimes he just don't pick up on what he's saying as quick as I can hear it from just the radios mm-hmm. I have.
2: I kind of found it interesting. Uh, Todd kind of asks your opinion too, sometimes on the handling and, and something you see basically uh, on the way it's handling through the turns or, or so forth.
1: Yeah, sometimes it depends. A lot of times he can't see the whole track where he's at, mm-hmm. so it's a little more like that. And then he's obviously got you know SMT and data and stuff running, but it's hard to really see where the cars are always and kind of how you're positioned around them. So there's one time in the race yesterday, we like probably forty fifty laps in, Ryan's like it's a little better, and I told Todd like don't don't fully believe all that because we're in better <laughs> air now too, so it's going to be a little better. So right right, don't think we've like got to where we need to be. Keep working on it. Basically, is what I was getting at with that, which he understood. So. Yeah, it just it's, you can see a lot more from the roof just because you can actually see all the cars and scenarios of what's around and and just kind of how he handles around other cars compared to a computer screen. So I I try to relay what I can. It's it's hard to really tell sometimes, even from my standpoint of what the actual car is doing, but I'll tell him where we're struggling. Mm-hmm. And then he'll ask Ryan, like, how's your entry or how's your exit? Kind of stuff like that, because that's where I'll tell him that I noticed that we are struggling in a certain spot or something.
2: It'll get you. It'll get kind of like that a thing where you give an opinion and then he asks Ryan's opinion of, of that. And it kind of gives more feedback basically toward a certain direction.
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Just trying to all work together and have some kind of feedback for what's going on. It's not always smooth, but any little bit, I can help on top of what Ryan's already given. It only, only helps in the big picture. So anything you could see, you try to explain it.
2: The choose cone ended up being a big, big thing as the race went on. And I don't know why TV doesn't always cover it properly. Um, I pay big attention to it. Um, what kind of things do you give Ryan information wise? So he knows, or at least gives him an idea what lane he wants to pick on a choose cone.
1: Um, our biggest thing is I normally just count the bottom lane. So for instance, the way we do it, if we're running, if you're running 18th, that's going to be row nine. So eight cars in front of you, put you back on the same row. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell him we're 18th for the cone. Well, I'll count the bottom lane so he knows if it's only to five or six, that bottom lane is going to be two or three rows shorter. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's just counting the lanes and then he kind of makes a decision on what lane he wants to get in. Uh, Michigan obviously is very top dominant. Um, So when you get back in the pack, if you're not going to gain two or three rows on the bottom, you'll go to the top and even sometimes sacrifice a row or two just to be in a preferred lane. So the biggest thing I do is just count. I count rows. I count cards in the rows and then, kind of leave it up to him for where he wants to be, but just giving him the information of what road is going to be shorter.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, doesn't some of like um, the pit strategies play into that too, where if a team doesn't pit or only takes two tires and they're going to be out in front, you want to know what lane those guys are in such so as you stay away from them basically.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. Depending on the track. I think Michigan is enough throttle time and wide enough that it doesn't matter as much as somewhere somewhere say like a Charlotte, that's a little bit more narrow and, and tires fall off if it's a longer run. To so Michigan, you can kind of get away with it. So that definitely matters some places, and sometimes you'll get, you know, it kind of gets mixed up, and somebody that's running 30th all day, you may end up up front, and you know he's not going to be as fast, so you try to get away from that row and just get your lanes moving. So it's, it's a lot that goes into it. The biggest thing for me is counting rows so Ryan knows how much he gains and then kind of leaving it up to him for committing to his decision of what lane he wants to be, and I think it's a big thing too
2: yeah i mean the initial uh, start of the race you know he's up up there to begin with then there's no choice at the initial start of the race but um right away it, it just seemed like the lower lane was was not going to be a good good place to be because he tried to leap out of there and go around people and it just didn't work
1: the bottom there's really difficult and especially on the, on the initial start because you don't really know what you have for your car mm-hmm. um you're trying to see if it's on the splitter, how it's handling stuff like that so it's a little more difficult and then we weren't very good to start. Obviously it took us a while to get the car pretty good in the race. So we weren't very good and then we couldn't ever get up. So it was kind of a domino effect there for the first four or five laps. I think we went back to 14th or so before Mm -hmm. we really got.
2: Yeah. Now the, the second to the last restart, um, at the, at near the end there. Um, the choose ended up being a low and, uh, he went from fifth to basically the second row, which is, you know, technically third. Um, and, and that, um, that only lasted, what was that? What was it? The crash happened within a lap, I think there.
1: Yeah, we, they wrecked in three and four.
2: But that basically set it up because he got all the way to fourth position when the crash happened. And then that sets up the last choose cone, which, in your opinion, was that kind of crazy that all three of those guys went high?
1: I, uh, yeah, I thought it was crazy. I mean, I understood Denny going high, mm-hmm. being second place car, because that's probably more preferred than being on the bottom. Yeah. But like Larson to go to six instead of having a chance to win, was a little bit I think of playing defense for the points kind of afraid of if it doesn't work out losing some spots but I mean you got to race for the win I feel too if you're in that position and funny enough Sunday morning in the hauler I was watching through some some SMT data with Ryan and uh, Josh Barry did the same thing in the Xfinity race he could have took the bottom and picked sixth and I'm like if you're in a chance to win like you got to try it like finishing fourth or fifth, being satisfied with that compared to trying to win and finish in eighth or ninth, you got to try to win. Like I was, I was like, I'll be mad if we did that same decision. So then the same thing happened in the race. And like, as soon as it happens, like, all right, like we just talked about this. And that was the first thing he told me in victory lane. I was like, well, same exact scenario played out that we actually watched this morning. So yeah, it was a little surprising, but I think that was, it was a lot to do with probably the point situation for Larson. I think Larson's decision was only one was surprising. I wasn't surprised at Danny's being second to take the top.
2: Well, I was, uh, my, my first thought was that Denny did that not only, f- not only for, you know, to, you know, to push, uh, Byron, but also to keep Larson from getting behind Byron. Basically. I always, uh, kind of thought that the main reason he did it was so that it wasn't two Hendrick cars lined up basically. And with him on the low end of it, you know, not being able to work around them.
1: Yeah. I, I certain tracks for sure. That would be the case, but I think Michigan is so, so top dominant. I think that honestly was probably a better decision. If you're second to take the top to be able to push that guy, because majority of the time, I mean, even the reason we got the lead was because Denny was pushing William to have a chance to go around him and mm-hmm. they tried to block each other. So fourth is typically better there than being front row in the bottom if you're picking a second. So I, I understood that decision. Um, but Um, Yeah, definitely. It helped that they didn't get lined up together, too. If he'd have took the bottom and those two would have got lined up, it would have been a lot more difficult for Denny.
2: Yeah, there's there's been a couple times now um, in the last couple of years where Ryan um, has at Michigan has been either uh, first row or second row on the like the final restart, and a couple of times I think it was uh, uh, his his buddy uh, Chase that he was lined up with, and the push just didn't go very well. But isn't even the guy in the second row? Isn't he basically looking to push push the guy to the lead and then hopefully get around him at some point? I mean, isn't that what Kyle was looking to do?
1: Yeah, I think Kyle was smart enough to understand that. If he tries to make a move on us, that us and him are both going to get stalled out and the top's going to roll. So you try to push him as long as you can and then get up if you have a shot. Because I think Kyle was eighth or so before he Mm -hmm. took third, so he gained a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, if if you don't push that guy, you're realistically stalling out both your lanes and you're not going to go at all. So you you have to commit to some form to push him until you get him clear or until you've got a hole to go that's going to make you a little bit better. That was definitely the smart move in that situation trying to push as long as you can
2: now where from where you're at do you actually go talk to kyle spotter at all before the restart or is it just already kind of like the the drivers kind of know that that what's going to happen
1: it depends on the driver who it is they don't have i don't have to talk to kyle spotter kyle's very aware of every situation Mm -hmm. um kyle knows what he's doing kyle's very smart race car driver so i didn't have to talk to kyle or his spotter um if you're the leader sometimes you'll do that more often than that but Kyle choosing in the bottom. He knew what position he's putting himself in as well. Mm-hmm. So he knows, he knows the only way for that to work is to, to push us as hard as he can really.
2: So the, the next eight laps are just totally mayhem at, uh, at my house. And I'm sure at a lot of Blaney fans houses. And I, and I went back and rewatched it again today, even just to, just to see, uh, how many different runs, uh, and how much different it is than plate racing. Cause it's still some drafting, but it's still in a way like plate racing too, where guys are getting runs in the eight laps that, that happened, how much of it is what you tell him and what he does looking at his
1: mirror? I mean, at the end of the day, he makes all the decisions with the steering wheel. So it's, right, right. it's all what he does, but I try to just give as much information as I can with any run that's going to come. Um, it's hard watching it from TV. You can see a run coming a couple mm-hmm. feet at a time, right? And car, run 190 with the mirror vibrating and the little bit of visibility you have, it's hard to see a few feet. You can see, a car length, it's hard to see a few feet. So, just any little bit of momentum, I try to give him a heads up so he can start looking for it to see it. So, I mean, the last eight laps was, it's a lot of both of us. I mean, just give me constant information as much as you can. But at the same time, he's putting his car in different situation every corner because he's trying to defend with some air, trying to keep his momentum up to not stall himself out where they get an even bigger run. So, mm-hmm. I think at one point we had seven cars, six cars stacked up behind us. The top seven were all nose to tail. So, we were doing a pretty good job at clogging them all up, but it's difficult. I mean, one little slip up, you go back to third easy, especially when you're switching lanes like that. It's hard. So he did an awesome job of controlling where he put his car and trying to block the air to, to people, but still running really good lap times to, to hold them off because so much of that's momentum. I mean, he runs the bottom once and gets stalled out. Their run's coming twice as quick the next straightaway. So you, you still have to put yourself in the right positions regardless where they're at.
2: Um are you spotting based on just what you see or do you know because you know how certain guys know how to drive or how they're going to drive um uh, make a difference
1: Yeah it depends on the time of the race honestly at the end like that I feel like everybody's taking every run they can cuz everybody's trying to win mm-hmm. If that same scenario happens lap 25 it's probably a little more calm and you know who's going to be the calm ones and who's going to be aggressive Um that situation with really racing William and Larson so I mean if those two Larson's probably a little more aggressive and going to take more chances, mm-hmm. but William's going to take every chance he can get to. And just depends on the time. So I was a little more expecting Larson to be a little more erratic, trying to make things happen when he was second and a little more calm with William there, although he's going to make a move. He's not going to do something desperate. I didn't think so. Yes. It depends on who's back there, but mm-hmm. at the same time at the end of the race, everybody's taking everything they can get. So it's kind of a wash of who's back there.
2: Yeah. I kind of noticed like, uh, either the front stretch or the back stretch, he would sometimes duck down to try to break a dr- any kind of draft that was coming on him. But I noticed that Larson was definitely the one who was a little wilder. He was trying to make the same thing happen basically. But uh, yeah. it was kind of interesting though, because I thought that maybe not that they were going to hit each other, but a couple of the times where they did separate each other like that and they come back together coming into the turn. I mean, I know for you ha- saying clear is one thing, but what about the, the spotters for the other guys that are trying to win?
1: Yeah, it's easier being second or third trying to go forward um, than trying to block everything. But at the same time, they're trying to get everything they can. I mean, there's a couple of times that Larson and and William are racing pretty hard for second mm-hmm. instead of kind of staying in line. But at the same time, if you stay in line, you can't stay on the guy's bumper. So then you get spread out. So don't you, then you don't make as big a runs each straightaway. So you almost have to kind of get out of line and then try to get line back up, which was what honestly happened or taking the white in the one when like Kurt went to the bottom just because he couldn't follow him in the corner.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So
1: then he went to kind of race Larson and Larson had it which kind of stalled him out a little bit and only really got William out there. So there's so many scenarios that's why it's constant communication. There's so many things that happen. Um, it's a lot like plate racing except for you're not too wide. Like plate racing under too wide there's two different momentums coming at different times and stuff like that where yesterday's really one car versus two or three instead of one car versus three or four in two different rows, which turns into seven or eight cars. So it's a little more calm than a plate race, but it's a lot of the same situations of where runs come from and stuff like that.
2: The fact that they all got spread out at different points of times, that kind of helped a little bit, right. To keep, uh, kind of keep them from getting too much momentum.
1: Yeah, it definitely did. And like I said, when you, when you get the guys that run too wide in the corners or have to move around every once in a while, when they don't get a good run together, they kind of back up too much. So you kind of get, one corner off before they're going to come back into it another corner, and that actually happened. Taking the white off of three and four, they kind of got back too far. So, like, you didn't have to worry about turn one; you could run a normal corner. But then you knew they were going to be coming off of turn two down the back. So, every once in a while, you get a corner off in those situations, and you're like, "All right, like, what's going to happen next?" Because typically, when they go back a few car lengths, their next run's coming twice as fast.
2: Mm-hmm. The block basically down the back stretch was the was the key to the whole thing because it kind of pushed him uh, getting in front of him kind of pushed him away a little bit from,
1: uh, yeah, yeah we would block them the three kind of went low. You don't really want to enter on the bottom. Cause you're going to get tighter and slower on the next straight away, mm-hmm. but it also may way if we give the bottom, William, he can get to us. So it kind of made William have to take a right to get back up the track, which stalls his momentum. Mm-hmm. So then he don't have a big a big run coming down the front. So, if you can't block the bottom every time, it's because you're going to slow up and you're not going to have those runs. But in that situation, you only had to make it another straightaway. So that was was the right move. We, there was a lot of things happening and kind of got lucky that we did a lot of the right things.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, you know, because there's so many different guys, uh, you know, it was a whole different thing, but uh, back at Pocono, when, when you guys won Pocono, the pressure was constant from, uh, from Harvick those last bunch of laps and it reminded me a lot of that it was like you know is he is he inside of you is he outside of you where is he coming from and that whole eight laps was like that it was just different guys every couple of laps would be a different guy there all of a sudden behind him um so when the green uh the uh checker flag flies how quick do you get from the spotter stand down to uh the victory lane there
1: <laughs> uh it it takes a little while i had to walk through the tunnel and back inside and then back out so he'd already I didn't, as soon as he came back around after the checker back across start finish line, I'd already started walking. So like, I didn't see any of the, uh, front stretch interview or none of that. But once I got to break lane, he had already got out of the car and did his interview and all that. So it's probably a solid seven or eight minutes.
2: Wow. Yeah. And then I, it's
1: like a celebration and then it's pitchers and leave. <laughs>
2: yeah. The tunnel is like right underneath the, like start finish there. Right. So it's, yep. it's straight up under and then underneath pit road. And then it comes out on the other side. So I've been there a couple of times and, and it's a little bit of a walk. Um, it is, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was kind of cool that uh, you got to do all the victory, uh, the victory celebration stuff on pit, the pit road there. Those guys, um, Todd mentioned you in his interview, and, and Ryan mentioned you like a couple times his interview. And uh, you know, it's it was nice to see the whole team effort come together. You know, you guys did a great job of uh, putting it in a victory lane.
1: Yeah, it's it's cool to, it's cool to hear those guys say good words. You know, it definitely takes everyone takes strategy to put us up there. It takes pit stops, mm-hmm. car getting better the whole race because we were nowhere near ready to win halfway through that race. Um, it just takes everything, you know, and then when it's your turn to step up the last eight laps, you're happy when you can and not giving it away. I, I, told, <laughs> I told our manager last night in victory lane, I was like, every lap we got closer to the end, I was like, all right, don't screw it up now. Like (laughs) you got less chances to screw it up. So don't screw it up now.
2: It was so weird. Like after like the the last eight laps, after the second or third lap, I was like, he's going to do this. You know, he's getting practice each lap on how to block guys. And it was just like, by the end of it, it was like, oh yeah, we know how to block everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you get, you definitely get a, a a feeling and a vibe of where things come from. And you kind of get in a rhythm of what's happening and Ryan feels that even more in the car kind of what he can do to kind of slow down a run or if he does something different, how fast it's going to come. So you definitely get in a rhythm of knowing when it's going to come. I mean, majority of those, if you can't control the entry, every corner, you kind of, you can make it the next straightaway. So it's how big is the run going to come and where's it going to go when you get to the corner and just kind of defend that. So he made a bunch of good moves, kind of switching lanes as he's already entering the corner to try to block some air. So that that's extremely hard to do. Like you're not, you're not in a slut slot car like you're running 180 185 and Mm -hmm. switching lanes turning right when you're in the corner trying to move up a little bit and all that stuff It's, it's a lot harder to do than it looks and that's what's so impressive is he he can do it like i can say whatever i want but switching lanes and stuff like that in the middle of the corner that he does it's it's really hard to do and that's the impressive part
2: yeah the control the control is incredible and you know they they um didn't have the fastest car. You guys weren't necessarily the fastest lap times or anything like that. But at the end of the race, to be able to control the car in all those different lanes, you know, is just more important than, than speed actually. And it showed that, you know, at the end.
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was maximum effort to, to hold back probably the two fastest cars. There's that there's that day. I mean, if you look at the whole race, they were, they were pretty much dominant. So it was a lot of control and air, trying to get a little push, but then block it again definitely even not the fastest car at the end, just doing everything to make it wide. And it was, it was fairly wide for a while.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's what uh, Todd said something about you and Ryan made that car extremely wide, uh, at the end of the race, <laughs> it was like eight lanes wide. At one point, it seemed like, um, you know, uh, this, um, next couple of weeks here. Well, this next week is just the, uh, is the last race of the regular season, but the playoffs start the week after that. And this should set things up pretty good for the first, second round for the team, I would think.
1: Yeah, I feel good about it. Um, it's nice to have those extra points from yesterday going into the first round for sure, and then, I mean, we have good momentum right now anyway, so going towards Daytona, I, mean, I feel like we get to the end of the race, we'll have just good shots anyway. If we can make it to the end, I think it'll be kind of like it was last year. It'll be a little wild. Everybody that needs to win to get in will mm-hmm. probably be super aggressive, but if you can avoid avoid all the carnage and make it to the last green-white checkers like it normally is there, I think you'll have a shot, so. There's a lot to race for still with with stage points and a win and um, I think we're only two or three points behind Truex now like we're really close to Truex so yeah yeah I don't say the that, playoff
2: I figured it out something uh, if both stage wins and, and another victory would be what seven more points playoff points and that would pop them right up to like third you know yeah. which would be a huge, huge uh, start for everybody uh, going into the playoffs. Um, a lot different than last year.
1: <laughs> last year's yeah. The of playoffs. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot to race for that We can gain, but at the same time, we're only what, 20 or 25 or something like that in front of Lugano after last week. So you can yeah. still lose a little bit too. So you can't be careless trying to just gain. You have to still be smart. So it's just play about a situation And we obviously should start somewhere. Maybe fr- maybe on the pole or front row, somewhere up close to the front, whatever it is.
2: I think uh, um Bob I think Bob Pockross had it sixth. Bob's pretty good at the math. Uh, I think it had something to do with the the fastest lap thing.
1: Yeah, we part- were at the fastest lap. Yep. Yeah,
2: so that kind of, but that doesn't matter, Daytona. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I mean you're still, I mean you're, if you're starting six, you're still technically third in a row, so you're still near the front. It depends on the rows, so you're somewhere up near the front. So just play it by the situation and how wild it gets and where you are, you know, the main thing is getting to the end. Cause that's where you're going to get your max points. Even if you, if you don't win stages, that's where you're still going to get your max points, just finishing. So it'll be, it'll be a fun one. It'll be wild, but I mean, I love that kind of spotting anyway. So I'm looking forward to getting down
2: there. <laughs> yeah. You know, avoiding, uh, avoiding things is, is totally key. You know, two weeks ago, avoiding all those different melees in those last couple laps. And you, um, you, you spotted down in turn, turn one, I guess, which would be Indianapolis's turn four, technically. And just to avoid all those melees at the end of the race was just, you know, everything to, to getting position, you know, I don't know how, sometimes I don't know how you see, it's almost like I hear you say something ahead of time. Like it's about to happen. You, you see it about to, <laughs> about to happen and you're like, yeah, these guys up here, you're going to want to watch out for. It. And then sure enough, 30 seconds later
1: sometimes you can just see people being erratic, you know, some things happen. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of things that like walking or uh, Indianapolis road course, the main reason I went to turn one to spot was because it was going to be wild on that half of the track. And I feel like if you could get through, you know, one and five and six, the rest of the lap was kind of reasonable. So it actually paid off in the end being up there um, just to get through some of those huge wrecks with the curbing and stuff like that in five and six. So. Yeah, almost got it done there. I mean, had a solid finish, and then getting it done this week was—we've been on a pretty good roll here the last couple of months. Yeah, the playoffs
2: are, uh, you know, about to k- crank up here with um, The truck series too. So, when's your next truck race with uh, Zane?
1: Darlington. I'll be in Darlington. They race Sunday, Sunday lunch before the
2: oh, cup race Sunday afternoon. Oh, that's right. They're going to do a double header that day, correct?
1: Yeah. So, so they were supposed to go to Canada, but couldn't travel. So right, Dar- they're doing Darlington Dar- now. So that'll be the next one for trucks.
2: Awesome. You're going to be quite a busy guy down the it'll stretch a, here.
1: It's going to be a long Sunday for sure. Especially Darlington.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, I'd like to thank you again for coming on the team planning podcast. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, you don't mind doing this. It's so great that you do uh, come on for us. Um, people really love hearing from you, which is great. And uh, you know, I, once again, congratulations on really good work. You know, that's the thing about it is it's not just, everybody sees Ryan on TV, but there's so many other people behind Ryan that help him get there. And uh, I really appreciate listening to you every, every weekend. Um, I think you do fabulous, yeah. fabulous work.
1: I appreciate that. It definitely, it takes a village, but it's it's fun when you have certain weeks that you feel like you contribute to it as well, but mm-hmm. it takes everyone. Um, a lot of people make, make the car go around, but yeah, I enjoy coming on and spend a few time, a few minutes of my time for as much as you pay me is totally worth it. <laughs> So thank you again.
0: I echo what Steve said, Josh. Thank you for giving us time once again on the podcast. That insight um, is incredible. It's really incredible, isn't it, Steve?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you guys get a chance this this uh, Saturday night, you know, you get the NASCAR.com app. Put it on your phone. So I think it's five bucks a month or something like that, and download the scanner listen to the scanner you don't have to listen to just josh you can listen to any of the other drivers and their, their communications everybody's a little bit different this weekend you know ryan will probably be up front at some point and it's really interesting to listen to josh tell ryan what line to be in front of who's bringing the run how far behind they are so that ryan knows whether to drag the brake or not you know and all these different things that they do to to, to control plate race so, yeah, definitely if you get a chance, listen to to Josh in action. The last eight laps were incredible. I know some people are trying to find the audio on it. I wish I would have recorded it. Maybe I should start recording these things, but I don't know if we're allowed to record them and, and play them back or not either because it may start, or may not
0: be legal. know may or not be <laughs> legal.
2: But you know what he did in those last eight laps, uh, you know, I know Josh is very modest and he says it takes a village, but they uh, Ryan's looking through a little mirror like you know, a couple inches big. And trying to figure out where everybody's at, and unlike a plate race, a plate race is two lines. You know, it's this line or that line, control this line or control that line. This race, it wasn't like that. Michigan was totally different. They were coming from different directions. A couple of guys would gang up and go this way. A couple of guys would gang up and go that way. And between Josh and Ryan, and knowing how well they communicate together, Ryan was able to stay in front of those guys, drive his you know what off, and um, it was a great win. He did a great job. It was fabulous racing for eight laps.
0: So what I would encourage everybody to do, um, one, like you said, get the scanner app. You guys can take a listen to him, but also go back into our archives from this year because we've had Josh on the program multiple times, but we had a very special episode with him that we took during an off week that just dives super deep into josh's story and how he became a spotter in the first place and who he has worked with in the past and then also how he and ryan have kind of built this relationship up so go ahead listen to some of our past episodes there listen to the i think it was episode after the talladega race or ahead of the talladega race another episode that josh joined us for gives tons and tons of really incredible kind of inside information uh between the workings between he and ryan and todd gordon that number 12 team so ryan now with that victory is set up really well heading into the first round of the playoffs. Obviously we do have Daytona coming up this weekend, but taking a look at at the point standings, he is now 217 points out of first place. Obviously he's not going to make his way into there, but now he's kind of bumped up, I think into like around the the fifth position or so when it comes to playoffs. And he has 14 playoff points, which I, if I'm not uh, uh, misunderstanding it, I think it's the most playoff points he's ever held on his way into the playoffs. And there's still potential for more if you win some stages or the race uh, over the weekend.
2: Well, let's, I mean, you know, being greedy, and I'd love to be greedy because two things. One, finishing in the top couple this weekend sets you up good for Darlington, the first race of the the playoffs. Uh, Two, if he wins stage one, stage two, and the race, that's seven total bonus points. If you take those seven total bonus points and add them to his total, he actually ends up being second going into the playoffs which gives you the,
0: yeah a, a nice uh a nice vault of
2: points to hold on to i'm not sure exactly but i think each bonus point is worth five points i think when they stagger them out so if he was to get that that's all those extra bonus points times five basically above other people and it would set that whole first round up where we really didn't even have to worry about that first round, get to the second round, and, and then have some fun.
0: And just imagine where we were at. We've already had this conversation after the, the Atlanta win and then other things, but where we were at after, you know, Daytona, after the first several races of the season, everyone's worried about points and there's no way he's going to, he's not even going to make the top 16 and all this other stuff. Now we're two wins later. And then a statistic that, um, Kate pointed out to us that you sent over to me earlier today um, on Ryan is that he has the best average finish over the last eight races in the NASCAR cup series at 7.25. That's YRB. So this 12 team is definitely firing on all cylinders when it comes to uh, the end of this season and heading into the playoffs. So again, super excited for this past weekend and the 12 team going to victory lane. But hey, why don't we go and take a look at our weekly trip through the history of NASCAR
1: this week in nascar history
0: first up in this week's edition of this week in nascar history august 24th 1969 bobby isaac rallies from a five-lap deficit to win the western north carolina 500 finishing four laps ahead of runner-up david pearson it is isaac's 11th win of the season
2: that's a nine-lap swing five down and then wins by four
0: Up next, we have August 28th, 1977. Cale Yarborough racks up his eighth win of the year at Bristol's Volunteer 400. Yarborough's junior Johnson Chevrolet fails the post-race inspection for the second time in a row. Team owner Johnson is fined a whopping $500. Janet Guthrie finishes sixth, her best NASCAR Winston Cup Grand National effort. Moving on, and just a note, this one's going to be uh, Bristol heavy. Just in a lot of Bristol races at this time of August as we go through history here. August 25th, 1984, Terry Labonte battles back from two crashes and wins the Bush 500 at Bristol International Raceway. Dale Earnhardt taps Labonte into a spin in the early stages, and Labonte survives a scrape with Neil Bonnet with 50 laps to go. Labonte also takes the championship points lead. Moving on, and another tidbit about Terry Labonte, August 26, 1995, Terry Labonte slides across the finish line just ahead of Dale Earnhardt to win the Goodies 500 at Bristol. Earnhardt slaps Labonte sideways on the final lap in a bid to win. Labonte's Chevrolet crashes into the concrete barrier just after taking the checkered flag. And finally, we go to August twenty-fourth, two 2002. Jeff Gordon nudges his way past Rusty Wallace with three laps to go and ends a 31-race losing streak with a triumph in the Sharpie 500 at Bristol. 15 caution flags dot the crash-marred contest. That's it for this week in NASCAR history. Tune in to next week's episode of the podcast as we'll take you on another trip through the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Daytona International Speedway. All right, Steve, maybe we got a little bit of preview of some pack racing or drafting racing or super speedway racing this past weekend at Michigan, but this weekend we are heading to Daytona for the real deal, the Coke Zero Sugar 400, Saturday, August 28th at Daytona International Speedway. You can catch the race, a night race at 7 p.m. Eastern time on NBC, or you can catch it on the radio with MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Stages are coming at lap 50, lap 100, and the checkered flag will fall at lap 160, 400 miles on the 2.5 mile super speedway down here in Central Florida. And obviously, if they are racing at Daytona, my wife and I will be at Daytona, taking in another race there, another exciting race there out there on the super speedway, and another race and another place that I really would like to see ryan blaney go to victory lane because i still still jealous of you you've got to see him win a couple of races here and i think it's my it's my turn he's the steam's got a lot of momentum on their side and uh just really excited to get out there to the track and just some stats just kind of looking back overall ryan has a average finish of 19th on the super speedways which a lot of that is just because it's so volatile he did crash out earlier in the year at daytona in the daytona 500 really early on before that rain delay happened and uh but he uh, the last time they were on a super speedway there in april at talladega he finished ninth as i mentioned he finished 30th in the daytona 500 uh the previous uh race there at, at on a super speedway at talladega going back to last october he finished 25th so that didn't really help his stats a little bit but then he did have a sixth place finish in the Coke Zero Sugar 400 in August 2020. And going all the way back to June 22nd, 2020 at Talladega, that was a victory. His second victory at Talladega, second victory on a super speedway. So, Steve, do you think this weekend, with the momentum that this team has, do you think that that can carry that onto this race? Or is this just a total uh, roll of the dice when it comes to super speedway racing this weekend at Daytona?
2: You know, this... uh... They're starting sixth, uh, according to Bob uh, Pachras. So first off, they're starting up near the front, and you know it won't take long to get to the front. People really do trust him leading the race early in a race. So hopefully that's the main thing. He stays out front for the most part, in the front, and nobody really starts trouble and causes any kind of issue that he gets caught up in. Because he pointed that out a couple times in interviews in the last day or two about – that's what it is. It's a crapshoot. You know, something happens, you're in the middle of something, somebody turns somebody, and you get wrecked, and it wasn't even your fault. But uh, if he stays away from those kind of things, I think he can win this weekend. You know, he's definitely led a lot of laps there. He's finished second a couple times there. He finished top 10 a couple times there. So, I mean, it, it's all there for him. The only problem I have with it is that, of course, this is the last race before the playoffs. Of course, there's about four or five guys that are looking to get in and the only way they can get in is win. you know, Matt comes to to mind, Bubba comes to mind. Um, you know, the two children's cars are going to do what it takes points wise, but if one of these other guys are leading, then all of a sudden they've got to get their way up to the front too. That's where I can see something bad happening. Not that uh, they do it on purpose, but, uh, they, you know, they get their way up there. And they're trying everything they got. You know, somebody just pushes them the wrong way and they, you know, and the next thing you know, they're sideways and the whole field slides down to the grass, you know. So that's just
0: what's so crazy about this race and what made the this race so exciting last season when the first time it sat in the schedule and this the spot of being the cutoff race for the playoffs is that there's just so much out there to gain for a lot of these guys. If a non playoff driver right now wins it shoots them right into the playoffs uh like you said mentioned especially the two children's cars there who both had incredibly fast cars at michigan and always come to the super speedways with fast cars so austin Dillon has won at daytona in this race previously reddick i believe has won at daytona in the xfinity series in the past so they have some experience there and they have a lot on the line i do maybe see them not really turning the wick up until maybe later on in the race but i think what you'll see is the opposite when it comes to the penske cars because what we've seen is they don't usually like to just ride out in the back and wait for something to happen and we talk about this every time we preview super speedway race for ryan they are all about running up front as long as they can as high up as they can so they can just learn learn what the nuances are for this particular race yeah a lot of them are very similar but you just don't know um you just have to see what the energy is like in the pack they talk about that energy a lot just who's making what moves who's uh who doesn't have anything to lose so they are kind of darting in and out and and just kind of making some crazy moves just to get to the front so uh, i think there's a lot to be learned in the early laps and sometimes it is, like you said, about survival. Um, you just never know what can happen. It's definitely a volatile pack out there as they're running, you know, wide open around that super speedway out there in Daytona. So I'm already excited. I mean, coming off this victory and they have a good spot already on their way into the playoffs. But as you even mentioned a little bit ago, there's still a lot to gain for this team because they there's still two playoff points out there if he wins stages and he's won stages at Daytona in the past. And there's another five playoff points out there if you win this race.
2: You know, the the other thing is the starting position for Darlington. You know, you do really, really, really want to finish up near the front and give yourself that opportunity So that at Darlington, you're near the front and you have track position right off the bat. So that if your car does slide a little bit at the front of the the beginning of the race, it doesn't slide to 25th. It slides to 10th and you can work your way back up. I think that's the other thing. Staying out of the mess. Sure, winning is huge if you have that opportunity. But just being in the top five would be great just to make sure that Darlington ends up starting the playoffs on the right foot. Because we've definitely started the playoffs on the wrong foot. And we
0: might talk about this next week, going into this race. But what did he did they get the penalty at Darlington, or yes, it was in it was pre race there, right? In, in pre-race pre race yeah, inspection, inspection. Mm-hmm. Correct. So that they obviously did not end up with a good starting spot in the Southern 500 uh, last year, and unfortunately, that set the tone for that first round of the playoffs. Uh, you know, I really don't want to talk too much about Uh, but uh but yeah so like you said super important to come out of daytona with a good finish to set you up for that first race of the playoffs when they head out there for the southern 500
2: they've got potential um from here on out because they've shown a couple things uh, including that even when you don't have speed if your driver has the ability to maneuver and do things you can still win races and you know these next couple weeks we're going to see some great stuff um, you know, he made that funny um, answer to a question in post race about how he'd like to win one, the first one of each stage, basically of each uh, round of the playoffs, and uh, that would be the most fabulous thing. Yeah, just win the first round of this playoff round, first one of that round, the first one of the third round, you know, be in the final. Um, the problem is, like you said, everybody is trying to do that. So, but putting yourself in position to be in that top couple to begin with, even if you don't win a round, but you're in the top five each week. You know, you're in good shape.
0: So let's take a look at the last several finishes overall, the last several winners here at Daytona International Speedway. Obviously, the most recent uh, driver to visit Victory Lane was Michael McDowell in this year's Daytona 500. Prior to that, William Byron won the Coke Zero 400. Denny Hamlin won the 500 the previous year. Going back to uh, another Coke Zero that I that I attended, Justin Haley won in that rain-shortened race with mm-hmm. some uh, pretty great pit strategy for that Spire oh. Motorsports team, and and the pit strategy of the the one car also. Ah, that was the unfortunate pit strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Denny Hamlin won prior to that, then Eric Jones, and going all the way back to Austin Dillon's win in the four hundred, and uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr and Kurt Busch. So, that's a sev- last several winners there at Daytona. Obviously Denny Hamlin, if we're we're going to outside of Ryan, who Ryan is definitely a driver to watch this weekend. If there's somebody else and somebody else that needs to get to victory lane because he won what seven races last year, seven or eight <laughs> races last year is is Denny Hamlin and yeah. he might just be a man on a mission this weekend.
2: Well, it's interesting is that they've locked themselves in anyway, you know, them and Harvick over the weekend. So, you know, having to do it, uh, you know, but wanting to do it. Yeah. It's funny. um, I'm looking at racing reference. uh, uh, Their website shows all those past winners. And then uh, the next race is a blank spot. And then it says under uh, winning manufacturer, it says Ford. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I do see that
2: yeah they're just so, penciling but, a ford in there we go they're penciling a ford in so I'm, I'm thinking maybe that's the 12 i, I you know i just would get...
0: be uh perfectly okay with that so hopefully yeah we fill that blank in for ryan blaney uh next after next weekend's race there in daytona so again if you want to tune in to this race the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona International Speedway. Again, it's Saturday night, so make sure you you have your weekend planned out properly that the Xfinity race is on Friday night. The Cup Series race is on Saturday night at Daytona, 7 p.m. Eastern time. You can catch it on TV on NBC and on the radio on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Steve, we talked a little bit about our favorites heading into the race this weekend at Daytona International Speedway. But why don't we go ahead and take a look back at our Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League and the results from this past weekend at Michigan International Speedway. And obviously, I thought I had a pretty decent team heading in. I definitely went Hendrick heavy. Uh, again, when it came to my lineup and I, you know, this week wasn't really necessarily sad that it didn't all work out for me. Um, taking a look back at my lineup, I had, uh, as my starters, I had Kyle Larson, I threw Kevin Harvick in just because I thought, you know, and I mean, I know that they're struggling this year. Um, if you consider finishing, you know, 10th to 15th every week, struggling, uh, some guys would probably kill for that but threw him in there because he'd won the last two races at michigan had ryan blaney in my starting lineup I had joey logano because i thought he was going to be strong in this race which he was just kind of got caught up in that incident later on in the race also had kyle bush which again thank you kyle for the push at the end that helped uh, get ryan blaney to victory and i had denny hamlin in the garage and i had a had a inkling that I was gonna put him take him out of the garage and put him in I was actually gonna replace Kyle Bush, I think with Denny at one point Uh, But I did end up leaving Denny in the garage. I had Kyle Larson down as the race winner. That didn't happen. I had Chase Elliott down as the top Chevy, just kind of hedging my bets there. That didn't happen. I had Joey as the top Ford, and I kind of kicking myself because I had Ryan in the top Ford spot. And then kind of at the last minute uh, on Sunday, I swapped them out and put Joey in as top Ford. So that didn't work out. I didn't get any of the bonus picks. I had Chevy as the winning manufacturer and Hendrick Motorsports as the winning team. So unfortunately... That didn't work out that well for me. How did you? Uh, how did you end up, Steve, this week when it came to fantasy? A big weekend for you.
2: I'm a bad fantasy league person uh, this past week. A bad uh, explain. A bad, a, a bad podcast co-host. <laughs> because my wife actually told me on the podcast last week to set the lineup, and uh, I forgot to do it. So uh, I, and initially I'm, I
0: didn't think that was that big of a deal. Cause I'm thinking, you know, fantasy football and like, oh, you forgot your lineup. You're good. You still have the guys in. And yeah, you still had starters in assuming that they had starts left, but you pointed out one big thing that happens when you forget to set your lineup. And what's that?
2: I had and AJ Almendinger from last week in there. So yeah, that he hurt. wouldn't even, ra- he didn't even race. And then I didn't have any of the bonus picks done. So, you know, Um, Yeah, not so good on my part, but you know what? The playoffs are coming, and uh, we'll rally around the playoffs.
0: So why don't we take a look at uh, the winners uh, this past weekend in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League when it comes to the top 10 points earners there from Michigan International Speedway. And first, we had Blaring Idiots with 264 points, and second, we had Joe Lopez 1 with 237, and third, we had U.S. Calvin with 234 In 4th, we had the Nutty Gamer with 220. In 5th, we had Blaney's Daisy with 215. In 6th, we had the aforementioned Stellanarius with 214 points. In 7th, we had the Dalai Lama 4 with 213. In 8th, we had Rochi 12 with 205. In ninth, we have Blaney Kicks Beep with 204 and rounding out the top 10 this past weekend for the team Blaney NASCAR fantasy live league. When it comes to Michigan international speedway, we had rogue tough with 203 points. Now I'm interested to go to the overall standings just to see how far the mez team has tumbled <laughs> in the standings. Um, oh it was a, it was a pretty decent drop and I'll give you guys the update after I run through the top 10 Uh, In in the points, this is overall league standings. Holding down the top spot once again is still Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing with 4,873 points. In second, we have Moon Cup with 4,832. In third, we have Blaney Kicks Beep. In fourth, we have Doug K0525. In fifth, we have Rogue Tough. In sixth, we have Glitterbugs. In seventh, we have the Dalai Lama 4. In eighth, we have Vans 12. In ninth, we have Go Larson. And rounding out the top 10 with 4,595 points, we have Spider Monkey. And you will notice that for the first time in several weeks, Mez 12 Team is not in the top 10 of the team Blaney NASCAR fantasy live league. You have tumbled my friend all the way down to the lucky number 13th position.
2: I'm just getting ready for the
0: playoffs (laughs) playoffs (laughs) on to Daytona. Did
2: somebody say playoffs?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So mentioned some guys to look for. I think uh, someone I might have in my lineup, because I have a plethora of starts left is Denny Hamlin. Uh, I still have a start left for Ryan Blaney. So I'm going to throw him in there. Is there anybody else specifically that you think might be? Is are you gonna put Michael McDowell in just to see if he can go two for two
2: this year at Daytona? What do you what do you got? I got um I just put my lineup together already. Already. I just And the with, bonus picks, right? And the bonus picks and everything. I just <laughs> I just hurry up and did it. I'm not even waiting for Saturday or Sunday. Um yeah, Ryan I had a Ryan start left, and I would have started him last week actually if I would have remembered to do it. Wah wah. Um, Denny Hamlin, I still have a Denny start left. Kyle Bush, I still have Kyle, Kyle Bush start left. Still have a Brad Kazlowski start left. And, uh, Alex Bowman to round up my top bunch, Kurt Bush in the garage. So, you know, and, uh, I think that's a good, uh, pretty good lineup, actually. I uh, can't believe I still have some of those guys left for one start. So hopefully everything resets and we get a bunch of starts, uh, coming for the playoffs. But, um, yeah, we're looking good.
0: That does not sound too bad. So I'm going to keep my lineup, uh, uh, I don't want to say secret, definitely going to have Ryan, definitely going to have Denny Hamlin, but by secret, I mean, I'm probably going to pick it. I got to remember too. Like I was just saying about when you Saturday tune night. into this race, you got to remember that it's Saturday. So maybe after we, we go off the air here, I'll, I'll set my <laughs> lineup up just so I don't uh, just a PSA don't end up like Steve and make sure That's you right. set your lineup, especially That's if right. you're vying for a top 10 uh, in the points here though. So don't pull a Mez. don't pull a Mez. there we go. <laughs> So, again, we're capping off another exciting episode of the Team Blaney Podcast, fresh off Ryan Blaney's victory at Michigan International Speedway, heading into the weekend at Daytona International Speedway for the annual Coke Zero Sugar 400. I just want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about myself or co-host Steve, please listen to our first episode that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find team Blaney on Twitter at team Blaney and on Facebook at facebook.com slash team Blaney. You can also search for team Blaney on Instagram. And that's a place you'll want to be this weekend because I'm going to be at the track for a couple of days and we'll be posting photos as I go. Don't forget to also download rate and subscribe to this, the team Blaney podcast on the Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and spotify apps
2: yeah tell a friend um because this this podcast uh was a little bit different because we got josh again we got josh after a victory and we got that insight from from josh so um grab some friends and, and tell them to tune in because this is a totally different uh, way of doing it this time and um josh had a lot of good things that you want to hear about talking about the victory
0: And once again, to close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization established in 2018 supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org or on twitter at rbfamfoundation and finally on facebook at facebook.com slash Foundation. and steve special this week because of his victory you too can support the foundation through a partnership with flag and anthem
2: yeah um, also they're doing the uh, walk to uh, end alzheimer's coming up in the next couple weeks and you can join either team blaney in north carolina or Team Cape Laney in Ohio here and join them for the walk to end Alzheimer's. And, yeah, Flag and Anthem is also donating um, like they always do when you buy buy from them. So, yeah, there's a lot of good ways to help um, help them out, help the foundation. And uh, I know they visited the uh, UPMC last week, got a tour of the Steelers Stadium. So, uh, you know, if you get a chance, check out their website. And if you can do so, you know, help them out. You know, either join the walk or support these. Uh, there's links, um, basically, through the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation on Twitter or Facebook. And there are links there to can click uh, to go ahead and, and uh, donate.
0: Definitely a fun thing to do. And I'm pretty sure you can probably do it virtually again this year as well from anywhere that you're at around the country. You don't have to be in Ohio. You don't have to be in North Carolina to support. Those versions of Team Blaney, probably the more important versions of Team Blaney when it comes to raising awareness for the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation.
2: I know the Team Kate Blaney walk is going to be up at YSU. Uh, So you actually get to check out uh, the new new facilities up there, too, if you you get a chance. So for my co-host, Steve Mez,
0: I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time right here on the Team Blaney podcast.
2: Good night, Brussels.
1: No one took the bottom. Um, And I said thank you.